Fear seems to be kind of at an all-time high in our culture. Many people tend to live or seem to live pretty consistently with worry and with anxiety. They describe themselves as warriors, uh, and they are anxious and concerned. And if you think about it, most of the time, I think, worry and anxiety flow out of fear. We're afraid of something, and so we worry about it. We're afraid of the future and what could be, and so it makes us anxious. And we can be afraid of everything from money to relationships to health and safety. And this fear often, if we're not careful, can become a controlling factor in our lives. Let me share a story I read that illustrates this. Scott Jordan, chief executive of a small clothing company. In addition to owning his own business, Jordan has flown a small plane, bungee jumped, skied on glaciers. He even drove his sports car on a public highway 152 miles an hour. Yet Jordan says terrorism and severe acute respiratory syndrome worry him, so he will likely cancel a planned business trip to South Korea. Jordan said, if I go and some crazy person decides to bomb the Hyatt, I'm dead. Though statistically, the article continued, Jordan is more likely to be killed on the highway, particularly if he's driving 152 miles an hour. Um, He is part of a growing group of people who are fearful because of the current world situation. Research has shown that Americans have dramatically reduced their risk in virtually every area of life, resulting in longer lifespans over the past hundred years. Many deadly diseases have been virtually eliminated. Food and water have been purified. New drugs and surgery techniques have helped forestall heart disease. Even on the highway, new safety devices like airbags are saving many lives. And reports from research studies, court cases of media hype hint that danger is waiting behind every corner. We're told everything has a hidden danger from a cup of hot coffee or secondhand smoke to anthrax or SARS. Despite the fact that contemporary America is one of the safest societies in recorded history, many people feel like they have never been more at risk. Before people learned to control their surroundings, they relied more on things like prayer for protection from natural disasters or plagues. Karen Nader, professor of neuroscience in the psychology department at McGill University of Montreal, says, In our current environment, our fear system is almost too powerful because it's trying to protect us against threats that really don't exist. I think that sounded a lot like what we see. We are, and, and if you think about the news media, that's kind of what the news media does. They are always stirring up, trying to stir up some sort of fear, worry, and concern in our lives. And when we let fear rule our lives, it definitely will affect the decisions we make and it will keep us from having any real and lasting peace. And yet, as Spirit-filled, Spirit-led disciples of Jesus, we are meant to have a peace a peace which passes all understanding. So let's talk about that today. Open your Bible to Galatians 5. Uh, 22 and 23 is what we'll be reading. That's on page 893 in your pew Bible. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says... Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The title of the message tonight is The Fruit of the Spirit, Peace. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and you are worthy of our devotion. Lord, we, we do live in a society that is almost hyper-vigilant and always afraid. Um, and, and so many things tend to stoke this fear within us, and yet your word repeatedly tells us, do not fear, 
That tells us we've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind and, and so many other things. And Lord, even your peace that passes all understanding is meant to guard against fear and enable us to be able to live for you and do the things that you want us to do without fear and worry and anxiety really controlling our lives tonight as we look at what some of what your word has to say about peace and what we can do to cultivate it, help us to take it to heart, help us to believe that it's real. Help us, Lord, to expect that the Holy Spirit will produce this kind of peace in our hearts and peace in our lives. Um, And just give us peace, Father. We know that in this world that we will have trouble and we will have tribulation. But give us a peace because because of the fact that we are your children, that you have adopted us and that you are the sovereign ruler of the world. Have your way in all things that happen tonight. Fill me with your spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, three, three facts, three important truths about the kind of peace the Holy Spirit produces in our life. The first, peace starts with Jesus. This again, we talked about it last week and we'll probably talk about it uh, in the next several weeks again, simply because this is always the starting point. Everything rises and falls on our connection to Jesus. Peace starts with Jesus. Now, the world, it tries to offer us many ways to find peace. You know, stable economy, a good job, big bank account, nice things, politics, peaceful world, all of those things. And what we find is, I think if we seek the world's means of peace, what we find is that they are unstable and inconsistent sources of peace at best. Right? I mean, they, because you think about it, if our peace comes from a stable economy, well then... Current, some news reports right now saying that there's a recession coming could be unsettling. If our peace comes from politics, our political group being in power, well, every election cycle can bring an unsettling sort of an experience. If our peace relies on anything that the world gives, then at any moment that can be lost. I mean, kind of like with joy. With my peace is dependent upon me having good health and everything in my life being right, it doesn't take much before those things come unglued. But as as followers of Jesus Christ, our peace is not meant to come from anything the world does or anything that the world offers. Our peace is meant to come from Jesus Christ. And, And this was always a part of what Jesus was coming to do, was to give us peace. Remember the prophecy of Jesus from Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, I I used Isaiah's, because there's a lot of references to Jesus giving peace, but I I use this one because there's a contrast in the book of Isaiah. Right In Isaiah 57, Isaiah refers to some people as being like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. Right? And, and if you know the passage, it just speaks of those who are, who are always tossed about. They are always uneasy. They are always anxious. They are always fearful. They are always angry. And, and, and Scripture says these people have no peace. And, and really, it speaks of kind of the wicked being that way, those who don't know God. And yet Jesus, He came in part to settle all that's been stirred up within us. But all that is stirred up by society, all that is stirred up by news, all that is stirred up by the world. Jesus came to bring peace in our, not just peace with God, certainly that, but a peace in our souls. Right? A, a peace within us so that we're not 
always stirred up. That we're not always restless. We're not always angry. We're not always fearful. We're not always anxious. Jesus can do this because He is the Prince of Peace. So if we we want this kind of a peace, we kind of have to make a choice. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But in life, we kind of have to choose where our peace is going to come from. Is my peace going to come from something in the world? Or is my peace going to come from the Prince of Peace? And if I, I want the peace which passes all understanding, then I have to come to Jesus. I have to let Him give me His peace. Right? I have to seek it from Him. Now, the fact that we have to seek it from Him leads to the second part of peace. That peace is a gift given. And again, we are going to look that there are things that we do but in, in essence, peace is a gift given. Um, again, there's a lot of ways people will look to, to acquire peace, to make peace, to find peace. Some will do it through escapism. That is a, a really popular in our day, whether drugs or sex or alcohol or, or in a book or a movie or constantly watching television. Others try to escape the problems of the world just by not knowing what's going on around them. That's my, that's my personal favorite is to just not watch the news, not know what's going on, uh, and not have peace. But there's always somebody who breaks that by sending me a news article, so that can't work well. Um, it, it always ultimately fails, escapism as a means of peace always fails, because eventually we always have to come back. Right? I mean, we we come down from alcohol or drugs, we, we have to put the book down and go on with life, we have to turn the movie off, we have to some point, we are going to be, in, be confronted with the stuff that's going on in the world. So escapism, it's never going to, to really give us any lasting peace. Others will do it through trying to avoid trouble with anyone. Right? They, want to, they want peace, and so what they try to do is make sure there's no strife with anyone in their lives. But not, to the, not like you would as a peacemaker, as a disciple of Jesus, but more like a compromiser. Right, I'll do whatever it takes not to ruffle someone else's feathers. I'll do everything I can to make sure everyone around me is happy all the time. That way there's no anxiety or stress in my life. But, but that also fails because the reality is no one ever makes everyone happy. I mean, you don't have to say everyone. Just think about it in your marriage. Do you always make your spouse happy? I mean, you can't even make one person always happy all the time. If you don't have that much control over one person, you certainly aren't going to have that much control over everyone in your life. Because somebody will always be unhappy about something. That's just how some people are. But no matter how people try to acquire peace, it always ultimately fails if they leave God out of the equation. Nothing in this world can give real and lasting peace apart from God because God is the God of peace. I love that phrase. The God of peace be with you all. Our God is a God, not a God, He is the God of peace. That peace originates, that peace in our soul that we need doesn't originate with this world. It doesn't originate in a person. It doesn't originate anywhere except in God. Because this verse, it pictures God as the, the source of all true peace and every all peace flows 
out of God into others. And it is a, a gift that He gives. We looked at this verse last week, but it's a part of today too. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope with the power of the Holy Ghost. Right? So God is not only the God of peace, but He He gives this peace. He fills us with this peace. Now, the picture of filling us with this peace, it, it pictures God filling us completely. I mentioned it last week, but it's the same picture. Psalm 23 David talks about our cup runneth over. Right? That's the kind of peace that God gives. It's not a little bit. It's not just the barest minimum. It is an overabundance that flows in and through our lives. And then my probably my favorite verse about God giving us peace uh, for tonight is this one. The Lord will give strength to His people. The Lord will bless His people with peace. Now who, who would admit and say that in a world that is always fearful, that is filled with anxiety and, and constant bombardment of bad reports of everything in the world, who would say, man, peace is a blessing from God, isn't it? Because I mean, I, mean, I, I don't know about you, I don't know a whole lot of people that have an overabundance of peace, that are filled with peace as Romans fifteen thirteen talked about. And when we see people like that, I mean, it's just like they stand out, don't they? I mean, it's not like, you know, peace that we're talking about, it's not the, the rose-colored glasses that, that puts a positive spin on every bad thing. That's not peace. I mean, the kind of peace that God gives, that it's a blessing. It is a peace that can look the world situation right in the eyes, fully accept all that's being said and just says, but my God is in control. God is greater. Whatever's going on. That kind of peace, it is a blessing that God gives. And, and then the final truth about peace is that peace is greater than circumstances. The peace of God that comes from the Holy Spirit does not depend on circumstances. And I think this is the most important truth about peace. It does not depend on circumstances. And the reason I think this is so important is because there is a very common and popular teaching in our day that would have us believe as long as we are in God's will, we're doing the things that God would have us to do, we, we have faith, then our lives will be easy. There will be no troubles and no strife and no anxieties and no fears and nothing bad will ever happen. As long as we have faith and in the middle of God's will. This is so pervasive in our culture and yet it is so very wrong. It is so wrong that I'm convinced it is demonic in its origin. Right? And, and let me tell you why I say it's demonic. In the parable of the soils, Jesus talks about one soil. And the seed lands and it brings forth fruit quickly. Remember that? But then the, the weeds come in and they choke it out so that it bears forth, or no, not the weeds, the sun beats down on it and it crushes the, and it burns up the roots and it dies. And he explained that what that is is that's people who hear the gospel and they respond immediately with joy. But what happens? In a time of testing, in a time of tribulation, 
they wither up and they fall away. They give up. They fall away from the faith, from the church, from Jesus, largely because they have no root in the truth of Scripture. They have maybe been been told the Christian life is supposed to be easy, that when you come to Jesus, He'll make your life better and everything will be so simple. And then when it's not, they don't know how to, they don't have a worldview that can handle that. And in their mind, what they see is Jesus let me down. I did my part. I went to the altar and I knelt and I prayed. I, I got baptized. I joined the church. I, I tithed. I read my Bible. I prayed. I did my part. But Jesus let me down. And if you've ever met someone that went through a time like that, you know that many times they don't recover. I can take you to multiple people in Gaiman alone that because of hardships and trials that happened in their lives, they just can't trust Jesus any longer. And the reason they can't is because they were told Jesus would fix everything and make it easy. And when it wasn't easy, they could not withstand the problems and the trials that happened in their lives. But this is why I say it's satanic. Who does it benefit for that, tr- that, that message to go out? Who benefits for a, a church filled with people to believe that Jesus is going to make your life easy? Not Jesus, because we'll talk about in a second, He promises the opposite. But the devil. Because the devil knows that if we believe that lie and the hardships happen, It will give him an end in our heart to plant seeds of doubt, plant seeds of bitterness, plant seeds that will destroy the faith and cause people to to turn and walk away from Christ. That's why we have to be grounded in the truth, realizing God's peace is not a life free from trouble. Instead, it is a, a peace in the midst of hardships and trials And all of the issues that happen as we live in this life. Jesus was in fact brutally honest about this. These things I have spoken unto you. That in me you might have peace. But notice the rest. In the world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now I love that verse. Because that is some brutal honesty right there. Not in me you might have tribulation. In, in me, there's a chance. You, you will. I mean, absolutely will. And of course, if you're familiar with the writings of Jesus, the, the writings, the words of Jesus, you know that He talks about the trouble that comes just because we're His followers. So, really, in a lot of ways, there's a, a double portion of tribulation that we'll have. There will be some problems that we will have just because we devote our lives to Christ. And then at the same time, We live in a fallen, sin-cursed world where bad things happen to everybody. And Christ's followers are no exception. So we have the bad that will happen because we follow Jesus. We have the bad that will happen just because we live in this life. That is a guarantee, a promise from Jesus. And yet He says, there's still peace that we can have even in the midst of that because He has overcome the world. Peace, it is greater than our circumstances. The tribulations, the trials, the hardships, the suffering. Nobody undermines that they're 
They're bad. They're terrible. They hurt. For the follower of Jesus that is spirit-filled and spirit-led, there is a peace even in the midst of the, the hardest of circumstances. So what do we do if we don't have this peace? If we're anxious, if we're worried, if we're afraid, if we're angry, if we have these problems, what can we do? The Holy Spirit is going to do His part to produce it. God is going to give it. It does come through Jesus. But what are the things that I can do, the actions I can take to help produce this? First, it would be to surrender to the Holy Spirit. A part of the point of Galatians chapter 5 is the contrast between life in the Spirit and the life in the flesh. Look at verse 16 and 17 of Galatians 5. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And the two are contrary to the one to the other, so you cannot do the things that you would. Now, so there's always this this conflict going on in our lives, this internal struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Now the question is, which one wins? Who wins that struggle that's going on in us all the time? The reality is the one that wins is the one we, we surrender to. As disciples of Jesus, we surrender to, what, to the flesh or to the Spirit. What we surrender to, it is what controls us. If we want the peace that the Holy Spirit can give, we have to live a life that is surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Now, surrender... In, in this terms, it, it doesn't have to be a bad connotation. Right? I was thinking about this today. When I was a kid, I always had to surrender to my brother. right? But it wasn't a, a joyful experience of my life. It's because he was bigger than me and he could bend my arm or he could grind his elbow into the side of my head until I gave and did what it was that he wanted me to do. And a lot of times, that's how we picture surrendering to the Holy Spirit. right? If I surrender... And just give everything over and let go of all of my life. Because when my brother wanted me to surrender, he wanted me to surrender to do something I didn't want to do. I mean, that's ultimately why we were fighting. And that's what's going to happen. I'm going to surrender to the Holy Spirit. And then He's going to make me, I mean, take away my joy. He's going to make my life miserable. I'm going to have to go do all of these things that I hate. And that's really not the picture. The Holy Spirit isn't wrestling for control to make our lives miserable, to make us do something that is negative. He is wrestling for control, really, to make our lives better, to make our lives what they are meant to be because of Jesus. But the key is, we have to make that choice. We have to intentionally choose. I am going to surrender to the Spirit. I am going to walk in His ways and not follow the lust of the flesh. And we choose... We choose which one of these wins in our lives. That, that's a huge, huge thing to realize. Because we are a blame culture. In, in our culture today, nothing is ever our fault. And yet when you come to Scripture, Scripture always puts the responsibility for our decisions on us. But I, I can't blame my mom and how she raised me. 
for the actions and the decisions that I make. I can't blame my dad because I'm like him. I can't blame Kelly for things that she did. I can't blame my kids. I, I can't blame any external circumstances. I do what I do because I chose to do it. So when the, the flesh and the spirit are pulling at me to do, I will always choose one. I will always choose to resist one and surrender to the other. So every time I choose to walk in the flesh, it is because I chose to resist the Spirit and I chose to walk in the flesh. And every time I resist the flesh and I walk in the Spirit, it's because I chose. Uh, the responsibility for being Spirit-filled and Spirit-led, it lies with us. In our decisions. And you say, well, how does this produce this peace? I will never have peace walking after the flesh. Right? We look at verses 19, 20, and 21, and we won't look at those. I will never walk in the Spirit and produce those things in my life. In the same way, I will never walk in the flesh and produce love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Walking in the flesh always deprives me of what the Spirit of God is wanting to produce in my life. So there must be a willingness, a surrender in my, on, on my life. To surrender to the Spirit and do the things that He wants me to do. And as I am surrendered to Him, He works in me and He begins to produce this peace and it overflows in and through our lives. But it is, it is my choice. And it is your choice. So we surrender to the Holy Spirit. Secondly, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Now, have you ever noticed how strife and turmoil can cause us to take our focus off of Jesus and, and put it on the strife and the turmoil? You ever notice that the worse the problem gets, the more we focus on the problem and the less we tend to follow on Jesus until it may even seem like this problem is about to swallow us up. And have you ever noticed that the greatest worry, the greatest anxiety, the greatest depression, the greatest discouragement you feel is when your mind is filled with thoughts of the problems. Your mind is filled with thoughts of the issues and not thoughts of Jesus. I have. I can say, I don't think I could say every time necessarily, but I can think of the majority of the times I have been overly anxious, overly worried, depressed, angry. And in those times, there were virtually no thoughts of Jesus or His greatness or His goodness or His majesty in my life. Instead, all I could see was what was not going right in my eyes. All I could see were the problems and the things that, that I knew would scare me, the things that I knew I was bothered by. And the more I thought on those, the less, the, really the less peace I had. It was like those thoughts crowded out anything that would give me peace until I was completely anxious, I was completely angry, I was completely depressed, distressed. We can't avoid strife. Right now you probably are thinking of one or two things that you're worried about. One or two things that concern you. Issues that threaten to make you be anxious and fearful or angry and depressed right now. 
We can't avoid that. We, we, this world is so flawed and so sinful and so evil that there is no way we will ever avoid that. So what we have to do is to learn to fix our thoughts on Jesus. Right? And this is what we're told to do. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Now to fix your thoughts on Jesus, it's not mystical. It, it is simply to think about him, to remember him. And remember particularly whatever it is that can give you peace at that time. Maybe there's an element of your life that seems out of control. So what you need to remember is that Jesus is God who, who calms the storms. But I mean, when He says, peace be still, the storms have to cease. He is Lord over all. But when maybe there's uncertainty in our future. We don't know, man, how is this going to turn out? How is that going to happen? We remember that Jesus is all-knowing. I was reading today in Matthew 9. And he heals the guy, his friends. It was the story of the, the house. Where the guy ripped, people ripped off the roof, but in Matthew they don't tell that part. And they bring their friend to Jesus. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. And the, the Pharisees thought. They didn't even say, they just thought. What blasphemy. Nobody but God can forgive sins. And Jesus, it says, knowing their thoughts, said, Why thinketh you these things? Man, God who, who knows the thoughts of others knows the future. He knows what's coming. Maybe we worry about finances. And, and we worry about money and how things will go out. And think about Jesus who, who took five loaves and two fishes and, and fed the multitude. And how he, he can take a little bit of nothing and use it to do great things. Maybe there's already just a lot going on and we feel concerned. We, we feel, you ever felt like David did in some of the Psalms? God, where are you? I don't understand why this is happening. Those times we remember his love. Right? Not, a, not a theoretical love, not a flowery word or a flowery letter love, but a, a love that went to the cross on our behalf. And think, you know what? What's going on in my life is hard, and I don't understand why He's not intervening, but, but He died for me. And, and to go to the cross on my behalf, He surely is not just going to abandon me in the middle of this strife. But we have to find... Ways to remember, to think on Jesus. The best biblical illustration of this, of course, is, is Peter, right? Matthew 14, Jesus does some stuff, sends the disciples out on the lake, and as they go across the lake, a storm comes up, and they're afraid they're going to die. And he comes walking to them on the water. Now, my personal belief that he came walking on the water because at that moment that's what they were most afraid of. And he was showing them, I'm Lord over all. What, is, what you're afraid is going to overwhelm you is under my feet. And as he's coming, they see him and they're scared. And he says, be not afraid, it's I. Peter said, if it's you, Lord, bid me to come to you. Jesus says, well, come on. So Peter climbs out of the boat. He gets out and he walks on the water. He's got his eyes on Jesus and he walks on the water. But then... The Bible says he, he looks up and the, the waves and the wind were boisterous. He, 
began to focus on them. And as he took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. He walked on the water while his mind was fixed on Christ. And he sank when he took his mind off of Jesus. Any time we take our mind off of Jesus and we put it on the storm, we will start to sink. That, that is just what always happens. The less we look at Jesus, the greater and the bigger and the more powerful the storms seem. And the bigger the storm seems, the less powerful God seems. That we, I don't even know if it's in the new hymn, the hymn, the new hymnals, the hymnals we have now, but there's an old hymn that we have sung. It was in the Free Will Baptist hymnals, and it says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim. The light of His glory and grace. And that's a truth. As we think on Him, His greatness, His goodness, His majesty, His grace. It's not that the stuff goes away. But it's that there's peace because He's here. He's in control. He'll take care of us. And then finally, we surrender the Holy Spirit. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. And then pray. Prayer has been called the most talked about, least practiced spiritual discipline in the Christian life. When problems come our way, it is very easy to get practical. And what I mean by practical is we just focus on what we have to do to fix it. But if it's a finance, I have to make, find a way to make more money or to cut payments. I have to find a way to deal with this, to do that. What can I do in this moment to fix it? And there's nothing wrong with that. It's probably stuff we're going to have to do in the trials. The danger is we become so practical that we neglect prayer. We neglect taking our needs and our concerns to the one who has all power to do all things. The reason that's a problem is because in prayer we cultivate peace. Be careful or anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Faith-filled prayer is the path to peace. As I look at Scripture... I don't see any way we can have real peace, lasting peace, this kind of peace that the Bible talks about apart from prayer. And, and I'll just say with this, and we'll close, because this is a familiar verse. One thing about this that stands out to me is the kind of prayer he's talking about. It's not the quick, easy prayer necessarily. But it's not, I'm praying in the car on the way to work, oh Lord, take care of this, help it to be better, fix it. Amen. This is more Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying until He, what the old timers would call, prayed through. Now the thing about that is I can't tell you how long it takes to do that. Jesus prayed three hours essentially is what we believe from the, from the way that it's worded there. It took, him, it took Jesus three hours to pray through to that peace to when they came, He said, Arise, let's go. My betrayer's at hand. I don't know how long it'll take you. I don't know how long it'll take me. What I would say with that is, rather than say I'm going to have to pray for an hour, or I'm going to pray for three hours, or I'm only going to pray for ten minutes, what I would say is, take whatever time is necessary. I don't know how to explain it other than it's a, it's a feeling, it's an experience. You, If you're really praying like this, you know. Because it says the peace of God will guard your hearts. 
if you are praying and you are doing all that you can and laboring in prayer to do this, there is going to be a moment, a period of time when it's going to seem like the burdens have lifted and the peace of God has overcome you. It's not because the problems are fixed and everything's been miraculously taken care of, but it's just the peace that comes in and guards your heart. And what you have to do is you have to pray until you pray through. And it will be different probably for each and every one of us. It may be a five-minute prayer where you pray through. But it may be a two-hour prayer before you pray through. And if we want this kind of peace, though, we have to pray. We have to stay until that peace comes in, surrounds our heart, floods our lives. And it, the past all understanding means it doesn't make any sense. Right? You're praying and it's like, well, I have peace now. And it doesn't make any sense because ain't nothing changed. I've just prayed, but now whew, I know God is in control. So let me ask, do you have peace tonight? If not, we should. The peace that we've talked about tonight is available and meant to be experienced by each and every one of us. Jesus came that we would have life and life more abundant. And a life beat down by anxiety, fear, and anger is not a life abundant. He wants us to have peace. So if we don't have it tonight, then we need to make a point to begin to pray about having peace. If we are living a life where we are not surrendering to the Holy Spirit, we need to repent of that. And we need to say, you know, I, I'm sorry. I, I see where I've made making these decisions and I, I'm going to do better. We need to pray if we're focusing on the problem. Just say, Lord, help me. Guide my mind that I would think on you and not on the problem so much. And if our problem is a lack of prayer, just, just pray. In the end, we won't go wrong by spending time in prayer. So we seek the Lord for peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Lord, we need you. It does seem that everything in this world conspires to steal our peace, to take it away, to cause us to be anxious. Lord, even as I preach this message, I can think of issues and stuff going on in my life that I, I feel anxiety about. So God, I... I ask that you would help us. Help us to believe that what we've talked about, this peace, it's real and we can really have it. And let us do what we're supposed to do. Let us seek you. Let us fix our thoughts on you. Let us surrender to the Spirit. And Lord, as we do that, oh God, let your peace come in and guard our hearts against Satan's fiery darts that would steal our peace and make us anxious. Give us a peace that passes all understanding and we will give you all the glory for you alone deserve it. We ask this in the mighty name of Christ our Savior. Amen.